and welcome to the Midlife Athlete Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jason Smith, and I'm joined by my co-host as ever, Greg. How are you, Greg? Hello, mate. Happy Christmas. And to you. Um, any uh, New Year celebrations planned? Uh, we're going around to some friends for, um, for nibbles. <laughs> um, but uh, I'm actually contemplating. So I'm actually, I'm actually going to go dry January, February. Um, oh. Purely because of this burpee challenge coming up. Um, so that's, a, that's an interesting question then. So does dry, if you're going to go dry January... That technically doesn't start though till midnight, right? So yeah, but yeah, why? Why? <laughs> Claire was saying, why don't you just do it a day early so so you can drive? I was oh, okay. <laughs> so, ah, now but, we get to the bottom of it. So you can drive. Yeah, I'm doing it not from uh, from any other reason other than um, this 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 uh, uh, world record burpee attempts coming up. So um, I thought I need to get a bit serious about that and. Um, yeah, so I might be te- I might be teetotaling tomorrow. Ah, okay. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. How about you? Uh, nothing. Nothing planned. Um, probably just uh, staying. I think. I think that's that's the that's the rule this year. I think uh, for some reason, just nothing's really quite worked out. So we we said that we were going to break down a whole bunch of stuff that we thought we'd learnt and. Um, cover off this stuff within the midlife athlete framework and obviously exercise is a big part of that but really before we delve into exercise and the bits of it we think we should kind of go back to basics and we thought a good place to start was muscles yeah and no better person to do this (laughs) other than a physiotherapist who's constantly repairing people's broken that's Whether that's muscles, tendons, ligaments. Yeah. Um, so, um, so Greg, uh, muscles, you're going to tell us yeah. all about them, aren't you? It, we're going to try to. Um, it's been quite interesting, actually, going back through the, uh, the textbooks. And I've I, I got to say, when you look at it and you read, in, read down into or dig down into the depths of the muscle and what, what's going on there, it is incredible what, what actually happens to produce movement, any, any movement at all. Blinking, um, scratching your nose. You know, this the complexity of it all is quite staggering. But hopefully we can just we can simplify it. But but knowing the knowing these little bits is actually for me, it, it makes exercise even more interesting. But um um but jumping But in, I'm assuming not just um makes interest interest in, you know, listening and what have you, but actually understanding this <laughs> should help you when you come to do things like strength training or even endurance training, right? Understanding muscles, how they work, yeah. um, can have a can have a significant impact. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I agree. And it, what, what I've, I was thinking about it today and what I've realized with my exercise now is I'm just I'm not taking it for granted anymore. I haven't. I haven't. I've realised I haven't taken it for granted for a while. But now I'm thinking about it more and what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. I never used to do that as a as a, as a youngster because I could just do it, and or I, I wasn't necessarily doing it well, but I could get away with it. And now I need now I need to do this and think about it more and and take my time with it and just really nail it better. Actually, I, I'm enjoying exercise more than I used to. I think, um, and hopefully, I can get more out of it. But um, but sort of yeah, you know, refreshing my memory with, with a lot of this stuff is is uh, you know learning all this at undergraduate level is is being is being a bit of a joy actually, being uh, nerdy, <laughs> but but it's been uh, it's been really um, it's been really good. But without further ado, um, so basically there's three different types of muscle in our body. We're going to talk about one of them, but the skeletal muscle is one. There's cardiac muscle. And there's what stuff you call smooth muscle. So that's the stuff that, that's wrapped around uh, blood vessels um, and changes the the uh, diameter of the vessels. Um, so if you get if you blush or you go pale, that's your that's your the vascularity uh, to your skin changes based on this smooth muscle. The cardiac muscle, obviously, which you which we and we don't have any control over those two. Conscious control. Um, the skeletal muscle we have conscious control over. 
So, so those two are they are they governed more by the autonomic uh, yeah. system? Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's all deep rooted, and you you can't stop your heart from beating. You can't stop yourself from getting goosebumps. You can try, but you can try. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 if you blush, you blush. You go red in the face. You go red in the face. If, you know that that's outside your control. Um, and skeletal muscle is, let's face it, our, our subconscious brain is pretty much ruling the roost, and our conscious mind mm. thinks it's in control, but isn't. But we do have a conscious control about how we do things, and that's where we can really make an impact with our with our exercise. So anyway, so skeletal muscle, um, uh, we have control, conscious control of it, over it. Um, a lot of our listeners will know that you know there's there's it's fairly common knowledge about the different types of muscle fibers, type one and type two, which then type two is split into two different types again, type two A and type two X. I mean, when I was a, when I was a student, it was type two A and type two B. So they've changed things around the last thirty years, anyway. But we'll come back to the muscle fiber types in a, in a bit. But if you dig down into the muscle fiber itself, you get these two proteins called actin and myosin. And trying to think of an analogy for you to picture this, obviously without, without any visual aids, this is a podcast. Um, think of a, a fence, a wood paneling fence. You've got these, the fence posts and the slats for the, the wood slats. Okay. Imagine you take away... So the fence posts, or we call the the Z line, and between those two posts, you have this stuff called actin and myosin, and that between the two posts is called what we call the sarcomere. That is the fundamental contractile unit of a muscle. It's tiny; it's microns long, but there are thousands upon thousands of these fence posts um, all lined up. So you've got this massively long fence, and that is the muscle. That is a fibre or myofibril. Now, the actin and myosin are the, the panelling, if you will. So actin is attached to the fence posts. And if you imagine the slats, rather than being a continuous sheet of, of, of um, or slats of, of wood, as you would on a Venetian blind or something, what you have are gaps. So you have one um, slat and a gap and another slat, gap and another slat. These slats do not cross right over. They sort of protrude from either end of these of the fence posts and are left sort of suspended in midair, if you will. Then between those, you have the myosin. And they are slats themselves, which cross in, uh, they are in between the gaps. They're sort of dovetailed in between the actin and the myosin. And when a muscle contracts, shortens, the myosin has got these sort of ratchets on them, so these little heads, and they sort of latch onto the actin and pull in and then the holes two fence posts come closer together that is a muscle contraction okay that is regulated by obviously the, the brain sends a signal down which we'll come to in a second the brain sends a signal down to to the to the myofibril to the, to the fiber and activates that's got a cascade of of new of chemicals including calcium and potassium and all these things which then triggers a contraction. So this tiny little thing, microns big, is the basis of our ability to <laughs> sprint and cycle. And that's what continually blows my mind about this tiny little thing regulated by all these neurochemicals and 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 yet yeah we produce normal movement, we produce facial expressions, we can we can you know run marathons, we can lift heavy weights, we can you know do delicate um, precision um, tool work, you know, writing, all these things. It's just a phenomenal, phenomenal um, system, which which continually um, flabbergasts me. And, and the, the other amazing thing about that is obviously it's instantaneous. It feels like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and we're not going to dig into details about how um, the – what actually happens at, a, at, a, at this level, things like sarcolemmas and acetylcholine and calcium, this, and it's just, it's too, it's too much information really. Um, but, but suffice to say that this tiny little thing, thousands of them in series, produces delicate work, graceful stuff like a ballet dancer and, you know, brute strength, lift up a heavy weight above your head. 
It's it's yeah it's, yeah yeah. So um, yeah, sorry. I was going to say, uh, I mean, one of the things that I suspect you get asked quite a bit is mm. what's what's. So we got muscles, and then yeah. around muscles we have things like ligaments and tendons. Like, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll come to that in a sec. But basically, okay, okay right. So you got so you got these tiny little myofibrils. They they're they're bundled together to form a, a muscle fiber. Okay, so um, now the muscle fibers themselves are then bundled together, to, and then you pack them all up until it's a, it's a big muscle so you put it in if you're looking cross cross section it's a bit like a um a big electricity cable so you've got tiny little um cables all they're surrounded by a bit of plastic colored blue or brown or whatever it might you know live neutral earth whatever so they're all bundled together um and you have connected tissue in t- between all the different fibers um and they're, so they're packed into these cables, effectively, and they're packed into bigger cables, bigger cables, until you've eventually got the, the muscle, which you can feel and see. Okay. So that is effectively um, what constitutes a muscle. And, and you, what, because we've then, all got, so obviously, na- naturally, you, you know, that all, all those muscle fibers get packed in, as you say, together and cr- create that muscle. And, 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 and um, We've all got naturally different size muscles, right? So if we, if you kind of, we didn't do any kind of working out or, yeah. or anything, what determines, you know, whether you've got more muscle fibers, for example, in your bicep or your thigh than, than me? Is that genes? Uh, I think so. Um, effectively, it's, it's controversial, but in terms of, in terms of your ability for your muscles, muscle fibers, when you, when you get strong and you get, you get your muscle, getting bigger and we'll, we'll come to this in future pods but when a muscle gets bigger hypertrophies you're not creating more muscle fibers okay the muscle fibers are pretty fixed uh, and they, they they in terms of numbers there's no what we call hyperplasia of the muscle fibers um what you do get is is just bigger fibers um what what did what you're how we determine but what we whether we're an endurance athlete or a power athlete that comes down to your type ones and type two so that is to a certain degree you're born with that uh, your your ability you know your your splits of type ones to type twos um across your whole body some muscles are are are, are more type one so your soleus muscle which is your deep muscle of your calf is much more of a postural muscle, and it has predominantly type one, so the endurance stuff. And it tend, there's a rule of thumb that the deeper your muscle is to your skeleton, the more it's going to be more of an endurance muscle. Your your, the, 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 your faster twitch muscles, like your biceps or your hamstrings, they are um, they tend to have more type two. Still a split between the two. Um, and overall, most people have got a split of 50-50. Of all the muscle fibers in your body, um, you probably have a fit split 50-50. But somebody who's much more of a power you know, sprinter, Usain Bolt, will probably have a split of just naturally have more type 1s. Type 2, sorry. So they can train those type 2s more. They can do more explosive stuff. But ask him to run a marathon, he'll, he'll laugh in your face. Yeah, yeah, I think he did. I think anything over 400 meters was this. He did. They said he would have been a brilliant 400 meter runner, but he just didn't, he didn't want to put the. He didn't want to too far. Yeah. Um, so um, where are we? So sarcomeres. Um, so when we so when we're looking at the the ability for a muscle to to get bigger, one of the reasons why we don't get the the split um, so that, that a new fibrous forming is in certainly in our adult form some of those fibers are ma- are really long some of that you know hamstrings or your hip flexors or your biceps you know it's it's you know good six seven inches long some of these things so and for that muscle fiber to develop new it has to start at the attachments either end and grow into the middle that that just doesn't happen but when you're feet when you're growing in the, in the womb these distances are tiny which is why that's mm. how you get you get once you're born, you're given you you get given these amounts of muscle fibers. What you do with it is then up to you. But 
they're relatively fixed. Uh, aging will will affect them, but we can come on. To, we're going to come on to that another another pod. But um, for now, it just means that you've you've got these set number of, of muscle fibers. You just then got to train them. Um, and there is a certain degree. It's a bit contentious, but there's a certain degree of shift from type ones to type twos, depending on how on with chronic training. And I, I mean chronic in a good way. You can shift type ones to type twos and back and the other way. Seems to. But again, it's a bit contentious. Um, now, so that's 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 a muscle waiting to be activated. Um, and there's a sort of a, chem, a, a, a very complex chemical cascade that goes on that creates this, which we're not going to dig into because it is a bit <laughs> it's a bit too onerous. And I'm I'm my head was <laughs> spinning just reading through it. Um, but we're, I mean, let's assume we, that our, we've got a perfectly intact central nervous system, no disease, no, no injury, no head injuries, in, you know, nothing like that. Um, so what you then have is your brain connects to the muscle uh, via, via the nervous system, the peripheral nervous system. Uh, so your central is your brain and your spinal cord. And coming out of that is then your peripheral nervous system. Um, and the nerve comes down out of your brain. There's the big nerves, and they get finally get, they divide off and get smaller and smaller, and they start to penetrate into the various muscles. Um, and what you then have is a motor neuron or a, or a nerve, a, a motor cell, which is the is this is the um, brain's uh, final connection into the muscle. Now, each individual muscle cell has just has one connection with the brain okay but each motor neuron so um so each um each neuron has has can can uh, supply different muscle fibers or multiple different fibers okay so and that was what we call the motor unit so a, a nerve coming in attaches to a number of different motor uh, motor uh, motor, uh, uh muscle fibers and that becomes your motor unit. Now, some muscles, like the muscles in your eye, so you need very fine control. You're talking about one motor fiber, uh, so one muscle fiber, so it being, being, is just one unit. It's one motor unit, it's one muscle fiber and one nerve. So you've got very fine control, very delicate control. The, the, the um, uh, muscles in your hand, for instance, may have tens or hundreds, but, the, but your gluteus maximus may have one, one motor nerve, um, one nerve cell supplying um, you know, thousands of fibers, okay? So you don't need that fine control for, those, for the bigger muscles. So that's important when it comes to, um, um, which we, we'll come on to later, but in terms of how you recruit the muscles and, and in what, and what order and 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 what's a maximum contraction look like, etc. So for something like an eye for an eye an eyeball muscle, yeah, you've got tiny little bits of of uh, of um, you know, the, fine, the fine control requires just one cell supplying one or two um, uh, muscle fibers. You get very delicate fine control, but not particularly strong, obviously. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and um, so then from there, you then get have this activation. So how do we activate? So basically, a motor neuron, when a motor neuron fires off, um, there's the, um, the, uh, the, the fibers in, in that unit. Uh, the, 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 so the motor unit is, is then fired off. So all the different muscle fibers in that unit come on at the same time. Okay? Now, there's a thing called the all or none rule principle. So basically, the motor unit is either on or off. There's no gradation at that level for fine control. Okay, so the amount of force you produce is dependent upon how many units are coming on. So if you want an explosive all in, all your muscle has to come on. All the fibers, all the fi motor units are fired off at the same time. Everything comes on. But for something like an eyeball movement, a you know, blink or whatever, then you, you most of the most of the units are coming on, but it's all very small. It's just small amounts of muscle 
being recruited. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense. And I think you're probably going to come on to this a little bit later, but how you can think about engaging uh, that yeah. muscle. So I know that yeah. you and I have talked before about, for example, uh, glute muscles generally don't tend to get utilized as much as perhaps they should do with certain yeah. people who might be, you know, having symptoms elsewhere in their leg yeah. or hamstring or whatever. <clears throat> and, and, we've, and you've talked about um, recruitment of, of, of that from a, from a thinking perspective. Um, so yeah. yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. And it, so, and certainly when it comes to, um, to rehab, for instance, yeah, you can think yourself stronger. So you, you imagine, yeah, you go to pick up something, go to pick up a suitcase. And you're, a lot of what we have in our brain is very anticipatory. So our subconscious brain is thinking, okay, this is going to weigh a certain amount. So this is, I'm going to recruit this number of muscle of motor units to, to get that done. And you go to pick it up, and suddenly you realize, oh, I haven't, got the, I haven't got the strength to do it. So what do you do? You step back, you gird your loins, and you go down, you, and lo and behold, you can pick it up. It takes more effort. Your brain is now prepared for that weight. That anticipatory thing is quite important. So it is in, you can then think yourself stronger by thinking about a movement beforehand. You get that the motor, the brain is almost firing up, ready in, in anticipation for doing that movement. So yeah, the Olympic weightlifter psyching themselves up to go for a world record or PB requires them to think. Christ, yeah, I'm going to give it, give it more. They can't just go in and just lift. It has, there has to be a, a preparation there. So, um, so, so does that the, extend? That, that, that presumably doesn't extend. Just staying on this point, Greg, that, that doesn't extend to the actual muscle type of muscle fiber, though, right? Or, or, or are you when you are thinking about activating the muscle? Yeah. Per se. Yeah. The, the the very movement that you're doing will generally dictate. The sort of muscle fiber that's potentially utilized there, or, or, or not. I'm just thinking of like an explosive, you know, weightlifter. Well, um, yeah, if they're thinking about activating it. They are in a way. They have, the, but they're, they're thinking about activating everything. <laughs> that has to be you know, right, and that includes type ones and type twos. At this, all at the same time, the untrained, an untrained person will find that difficult to do. They just don't know. They haven't got the experience of it. They haven't got the, the motor patterning. The movement pattern hasn't been figured out. Then they haven't got the strength. You know, they haven't got the control. Um, that's so they, you know, the, the Olympic weightlifter hasn't just lifted his personal best above his head all the time. They've just done lots and lots, you know, thousands of repetitions of that movement at lower weights, and it's built up and built up and built up uh, in, in a um, chronic nature, positive chronic nature. Um, and, and, sorry, I, I don't want to kind of labour this point a little bit more, but but just just so it's important. Then, so when so, so that Olympic weightlifter is not only training the muscles, he's training, or he or she is training the neurological pathways to those yeah yeah muscles as well. Right. We'll, we'll, we'll come on to factors of biomechanical factors affecting muscle activation. Um, how how you know how we move, etc. There's, there's quite a few later on uh, we'll talk about. But, yes, neural activation is the most important thing. That, and any strength gains, and this is what I say to my clients, any strength gains that you make within anything, including your ability, you know, when I'm doing rehab exercises with, ex with patients in the gym, you know, starting at real fundamental levels, if you start any exercise program, those strength gains, the initial, the initial strength gains, are neural. It's your brain learning how to use what's, what's available. You know, it's it's saying, well, I've got X number of motor units, but you're not use you're only using ten percent of them all the time. Then that ninety percent is just sitting around doing nothing. So then you've got to wake those up. So the, the, the your initial strength gains aren't your muscles getting bigger or whatever. It's just your brain learning to use what it has available at that moment, just doing it better. Mm. Utilization, um, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so when we're talking about the, so the, the impulse comes down, fires up these motor, this motor unit, which has all these different fibers in it. Um, and yeah, it's the all or nothing. So it's, it, it, they all come on at the same time. And what's, what I would point out is if you 
had, let's say, 100 muscle fibers all in parallel in a in, in, and, they're, and they're supplied by different motor units or sorry, motor cells, uh, motor neurons, then one motor neuron doesn't doesn't supply one, two, three, four, five. The next one is six, seven, eight, nine, ten. The next one, they if the first motor, one motor neuron might do five, twelve, seventeen, twenty six, thirty one, in that in that line. So they're not all side by side. So you get a spread of the of that activation across the muscle. Because otherwise, you'd have half a muscle contracting whilst half a muscle is is relaxed. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and when it comes to like an endurance sport, like running or cycling, those some motor units will be on whilst others are off. So some are recovering whilst others are working, and that and that cycles around. That goes around. So not it's not all the muscle working all the time. That would be that's too much. That's why the Olympic weightlifter explosive one off done. I won't be able to do that again for two hours. You know. <laughs> Um, because he's used everything, poof, one big hit, done. Whereas for the endurance athlete, it's more than it's, it's utilizing, um, um, or it's, it's switching off and on, off and on to keep everything, give everything a, a chance to keep going long term. So, you, um, so what you've got, you've got your muscle fiber types categorized by your slow twitch and fast twitch. That twitch is what effectively is that initial. Um, flicker of of sort of neurochemicals, um, electrochemicals into into the muscle fiber to create a, a tension. And if you if there are enough of these twitches, okay, brought together in a sort of short period of time, you'll get a, a development of force. If you get one twitch, then nothing, nothing's going to happen. If you get a twitch, then immediately another twitch. Then you've got that summated is then is in, starts creating tension. Then you get another twitch, another twitch. So your fast twitch, that's why they call fast twitch, is because you get twitches happening much quicker. Slow and, twitch. The, and, the, and they're the fast twitch type two, low twitch two, type yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So 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 um, it's just the house. How quickly does that twitch come on, and how quickly does the next twitch come on? The slow twitch is just a bit slower, but you can you can keep doing it for longer. Fast twitch, it it, it 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 burns out quicker. Now there are within your type twos, there is a type two A and a type two X. The type two A has an ability to be a bit more endurance, so it can produce higher forces for a bit longer. So it's slightly aerobic. The type two X is a bit more, you know, shoot your bolt and that's done. <laughs> so that's that's your explosive power stuff. Whereas the type two Type 2A, it gives you um, a bit more than type 1, a bit less than the type 2X. Okay? But we again, we can come on to yeah. that later today. Um, and then, so that's that's what's happening at a sort of motor unit level. But then what happens for us to produce, you know, smooth, coordinated movements? How, what happens there? And that's what we call a recruitment pattern. So, so we're coming a bit more macro now. And essentially, there's two variables here. There's you can you can vary the frequency um, by which um, a motor unit is, is is stimulated. So if you start if you stimulate them quickly, they'll produce more and more force. Um, or at least, it, sorry, you'll produce more um, produce force for longer. So remember, a unit is either on or off. If you keep stimulating it, it just stays on for like, stays on for longer. And if you start bringing more in, so that's the next stage, is the number of motor units that you then have. So if you, if you have one motor unit coming on, you're not going to get much of a contraction. If you get multiple motor units coming in at the same time, you're going to get bigger force contraction. And again, that comes down to that neurological connection, right? It's your yeah. brain sending the signal, I want to, as you say, recruit the pattern of recruitment. Yeah. A range of these muscles yeah. to do whatever it is that I'm anticipating that I'm going to do. Yes, exactly. It's in, and it's, it's again, it's all about efficiency. How much? How much? What's the minimum amount of effort I need to get the maximum gain out of it? But when you're doing fine control, you know, you're, you're, you're something with these these delicate fingers, or or you need something that's much more powerful. You know, to grip something, to hold something tight, so you don't, it doesn't slip out of your hand. You know, 
there's 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 two ends of a of a, of a very big spectrum. Um, so and that's where we come. Yeah. So with an explosive movement, like a Olympic weightlifter, you've got you've got everything coming in at the same time. Everything just comes on at the same time. It's called synchronous. So it's a synchronous boom, bang, done. And then you've got endurance stuff where where some motor units will be on, some will be off. Then those which are off come on, and those which are on come off. And that's called asynchronous. That just go. That's just happening all the time at a, sub, at a subconscious level that allows you to keep going for, for long periods of time. Um, What's quite interesting is from a from a neurological perspective, <clears throat> you, you've described it. I mean, amazing description, by the way, Greg. But in our brains, we're not thinking about that, right? Consciously, we're thinking about lifting a suitcase or running or yeah. climbing the stairs, right? Yeah, um, it's amazing how that, this is what we're consciously thinking about, gets translated into what's actually required at the level that you're talking about to engage the right motor unit, when to engage it, and so on. It, no, it's, completely. It's a, it is, but that, but that's with with mind blowing thing about being about skills, skill acquisition. It's all yeah. You know, it's, it's very easy to go. Just going to ride a bike. Well, I learned to ride a bike when I was four. Fine, okay. I haven't ridden a bike for twenty years. How hard can it be? You get on a bike and you start cycling. But it's a lot more to it than that. We we know this. It is a, is a, how to ride a bike efficiently is very different from just riding a bike. The skills required, and I mean the the, the French call it souplesse, isn't it? That that smoothness mm-hmm. bike, you know, that just that doesn't come. You're not born with that. You've got to develop that. A ballet dancer, you look at the grace and and power and agility of of a, of a dancer, a ballet dancer, and and you know they weren't born doing that. They weren't. They had to train to be able to do that. They had to have the an ability, yes, but that just comes through hours, dedicated hours and hours and hours of 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 repetitions to get that right, and and it, just the neural complexity of it all. Again, it, it staggers me all the time. It just, it, it, I really do. It just I'm in awe of how it, of how it, it all, it's all put together. Uh, and what the what the human body can can achieve, it's absolutely incredible. Um, but yeah, it just when you when you start at the microscopic level and build your way back up, and going through you know, giving things various titles like recruitment patterns and blah blah blah, it's just it, oh, I, I don't know, I really don't know how it does it, but it does, and I'm grateful. Um, but yeah, so. One of your questions before was about you know coming out from the muscle, you then got ligaments and everything else. And one of the, a very common question is you know, what is the difference between the ligament and the tendon? Mm. And uh, so the, a tendon is what connects a muscle to a bone, okay? And mm. a ligament t- attaches a bone to a bone. The so ligament is a passive structure. It's it, think of it as as uh, uh, ropes on a tent. They are they are held in place, and when the wind buffets buffets the, uh, uh, the the tent, they react. And they sometimes go slack, or they sometimes get tight, and they keep things in place. But they are passive devices. Tendon is a force transmitter. So it, the muscle produces a load, a force. It transmits that force through the tendon, which is relatively inelastic compared to a muscle. And then that transmits, that tendon crosses a, a, a joint, so it attaches, so the muscle is attached to one bone, the tendon crosses a joint and attaches to a different bone. It pulls on that bone and, and, the, and the joint is the hinge by which you then move. Okay? Um, yeah. And, um, I mean, I say relatively, relatively, um, uh, inelastic, but the, there is there is give. It's living tissue. It does give. It's a bit like you know you see a, um, a, a picture of a, or a film of a bridge in high winds. You know, metal bending. You know, you think how can it bend? It does. 
given enough force, tendon is the same stuff. It's if you hold it and try and pull it, it doesn't feel like it's going to give much, but it does. So your your Achilles tendon can lengthen by anything up to about an inch when you're sprinting. Um, wow. wow. So there, there is there is a lack of elasticity in the tendon, and you, and that's a for, a force a, a source of load which can be used to you know when you're when you're running. So there's elasticity in it. That's why kangaroos are so another, efficient. So they've got massive. Yeah, another question. Yeah, yeah. Another question that listeners may have is um, they may have heard the term fascia. Hmm. What's fascia? Um, well, fascia is similar stuff to ligaments and tendons. It's collagen. Um, it's non-contractile is one way of looking at it. So it's a passive. So you've got passive structures and you've got active structures. The active structure is the muscle. It contracts, it relaxes, it changes its tone from one moment to the next. So it's, 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 it has an in, but it has an inherent stiffness. So take a piece of meat, stick it on the slab, and you, you can stretch it. Okay. But when it, when you attach a nerve supply to it and it can contract, it can vary its, its tension from one moment to the next. Ligaments, fascia, tendons, they can't do that. Um, but fascia is just basically sheets of connective tissue, which, wrap us up basically it's like a it's like a big onesie <laughs> it's like a onesie. <laughs> but, it, but, it it. But, but it penetrates in between all the different um layers of the tissue so around your myofibrils and your and your and your your muscle fibers and then your you've got these cable we talked about those cables all being stacked together into this one big thing called the muscle you've got this fascia is interwoven in here. And it, it, it's like this sort of connective tissue and it holds everything in place. Now, when you're, when you're strengthening, as you get stronger, you're putting load through all your tissues, not just your muscles. Your tendons have to adapt. Your ligaments have to adapt. Your bone, cartilage, it all has to adapt to those loading. Muscle is very good at adapting. It adapts quicker because it's got a better blood supply. Tendons a bit slower. Which is why tendonitis problems can be very common because they just you overtrain them or overload them and they react because they just can't cope with the, the stresses you're asking them to be put through. But that that's so that's a common a common um, misunderstanding about what's a ligament, what's a tendon. But that's just an, that's more of an aside. Um, now now we're going to talk about mechanical disadvantage. And mechanical advantage. So within our within our bodies, um, this is down to physics, basically. <laughs> a lot of this is down to physics, but within physics you have um, different types of levers. There's type one, two, and three. Type and and it's how efficient they are. And most of the most of the levers in our body are relatively inefficient. So before we became or before we came on air. Turn to, turn to Jason about this, but if you take something like a tricep action, so you're extending your arm from a flex position, you're doing that against the resistance. Tricep attaches to the big knobby bit on your elbow. The load is in your hand. Now, the distance from your hand to that attachment, or at least the fulcrum, the hinge, which is your elbow, the distance from your hand to the elbow is eight times more than the distance from your the muscle attachment, which sits behind the other side of the fulcrum to the elbow joint. So attachment of the tricep to the, to the elbow joint is an eighth of the distance from your, as from your hand to your um, to, the, to the elbow, which basically means that your, that your tricep is at a disadvantage, not a very efficient lever. Same thing with your bicep. So your bicep tendon attaches on the same side of the fulcrum as your as the weight. That makes it even worse. It's even less of an advantage. So if you're lifting a, um, actually, it basically means that the, the load you're lifting, the, the internal forces that the muscle is generating can be eight times for your arm, for the tricep and bicep, it's about eight times more than the actual load you're shifting. There'll be more for your quads and your hamstrings because they are longer levers. So the implications wow. for that are that yeah, if you're lifting a five kilogram weight, the actual load, the internal forces being generated are is the equivalent of 40 kilograms. So 
So if you might, so the forces go up quite considerably. The forces involved in moving are huge, almost mind-bogglingly huge to the point where you think, should I really get out of bed? But but so you know, take for instance your your knee. Yeah, your knee um, as opposed to your elbow. Your knee is is not a hinge joint. It's quite a complex joint. And your patella, your kneecap, sits in the quads tendon. That helps to keep because as your as your because it's not a pure a true hinge, the kneecap is helping to keep the the distance from the fulcrum relatively constant. That for, for your for your for your quads, and the patella improves the um, the efficiency of your quads by up to five times. But the load going through it is huge. If you if you walk up the stairs, step stairs, you take two steps at a time. It's about five times your body weight to each kneecap. If you, wow. do a, if you do a full deep squat right onto your bum bum to heels, you're looking at about 12 times body weight to each kneecap. That's without any load. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So the, the forces are astronomical, astronomical. Have you ever tried that, that bar trick? If you take a, a, a snooker cue or a pool cue, hold the tip, and then and, le- and lift it up and leave it up so it's, it's horizontal. You're just holding the tip. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. How hard that is, and how many can I do, can you do? You know, that that's effectively what's happening in a lot of our joints, shoulder joints, for instance. The, the tiny little muscles lifting your arm up, your arm out to the side. The force is <laughs> just you know metric tons of load. Wow. But this the body the body can cope with this to a degree. Injuries are very common because you just loads are just exceeded too easily. Or t- yeah, you, you do too much, too soon, too often. Yeah. So that, that's so that's that's quite an interesting point, and that 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 comes down to it's something to bear in mind when you're starting weight training. If you've never done it before, is to think about okay, to go. Easy to start with. Get everything right. Get your basics right. Get the fundamentals right, I should say, and then start adding load gradually. Your body can can cope with it. Can deal with it. You're just going to give it a chance to deal with it. And that's well. In fact, a- a- anything that's explosive, right? Because I mean, it's not just weight training, but if you were doing sprinting or anything like that, um, anything of that explosive nature, yeah, the forces I would thought would be huge. Oh yeah, absolutely, complete, complete. Yeah. Um, Right, so moving on, without coming to the difference, well, strength versus power, and there's a lot of conf- I think there's a lot of confusion between strength and power. What's the difference? And there's there's similarities, but there, is, there are differences as well. Um, so when you look at something like powerlifting as a as a as a term, so you've got the Eddie Halls of this world shifting half half a ton of weight. They're doing it relatively slowly, so it's a bit of a misnomer they're not it's not power at all <laughs> it's high it's high force lifting but it's not power because power is a, a product of speed so if you if you're if you're main if you've if you're doing things very slowly it's not really a powerful thing power is, is a product of speed okay strength as a definition is the ability for a muscle to produce force that's it and by the same token weakness is is, is an inability for a muscle to produce force. Yeah, I'm, I, see, I see you thinking there, Jason. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm thinking about yeah. I'm, I'm being the cyclist that I am. I'm thinking about the the, the watts because obviously on a on a bike you can measure the amount of mm. watts that you're putting through, which is obviously power. Mm. Um, so we're not necessarily measuring the strength there. Uh, it's how much work measurement. you're doing. That's, that's work, basically. Yeah. Power and time. So yeah. how how yeah. yeah. So but but power is a product of speed. So an Olympic weightlifter is a far more powerful animal than just a powerlifter because they because it is so much more explosive. They're not. They're not. You can't. You no one's been ever been able to to, to clean and jerk half a ton. You know, um, they're not able to do that yet. If ever, but they can they can deadlift half half a ton. You know, some can. 
because then things are just going more slowly. Um, and, and, and as you'll see later on, muscles, basically muscle uh, force declines as speed goes up. It's not a linear line, but it, that's what happens. So power tends to be, you know, um, uh, how, yeah, how, how much force can you generate at high speeds? That's how we think of it, or higher speeds. Mm. Um, so, um, so now we come on to the sort we got called the biomechanical factors, um, which which influence um, um, our ability to produce force. So we, we talked about the neural control. So the maximal force output is determined by which and how many motor units are involved. Um, so we call recruitment. So what muscles, are, what fibres are coming on, what type of fibres are they, and how many are there? Um, and also the rate at which they come on. So if you keep on asking them to come on, you're going to produce more and more force. And then more and more, and then body thinks, well, I can't keep doing asking those motor units to, to keep doing that. I'll bring in more motor units. So mm -hmm. it just... So eventually you're producing, you know, you're, you're almost max, the maximal contraction, how much, what's the maximum force I can produce in one go, that is going to be a certain amount. Now, you train your body, we go back to these Olympic weightlifters, can do pretty much, you know, <laughs> the full amount, you know, 100% of the muscle coming on, but once. <laughs> That's it. But they, they can recruit that. They've trained themselves to, be, to recruit it. And and the same thing for us for for a marathon runner, you know, suddenly hits a hill or sprint finish to 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 suddenly tap into that explosive stuff stuff that's there ready to go. But cyclists going for a for a, for a sprint finish as well, they've been cycling for you know hundreds of miles, but they need that sprint finish. So suddenly they just tap into it and they can just explode explosively produce that force. They train themselves to be able to do that. Um, and effectively, the, you get a big. The bigger force is due to more motor units coming on. Um, the motor units are, are greater in size, so effectively, that that we talked about the eyeball has maybe a one muscle fiber with one motor neuron. Okay, whereas whereas your glutes or your quads may have thousands of of muscle fibers for one motor neuron. So you, so one motor neuron comes on, you get a thousand contractions. As opposed to one, so you're going to get more force, obviously. And then the rate of firing, so how, you know, the firing just continues and continues until eventually it's it's you know at its maximum. Which is then you get into thing. Well, you've heard of a titanic contraction, where it's like a cramp, where the muscle just basically just goes, everything comes on in one big go. You know how painful that is, um, and you don't really get to that point uh, because that's that's potentially very very damaging. But that's the that's the that's what that's the end result would be a yeah the the end the end game would be a, a full cramp like and when you when your calf cramps up um mm. so say the initial strength gains are from the brain learning how to generate more force with a given amount of contractile tissue so that's quite important that's so your initial strength gains you will feel. Um, um, quite quickly, but that rate of improvement will slow down. And if you are if you are very well trained anyway, you won't feel the same changes or same gains as someone who's coming in from with virtually no experience and very deconditioned. They'll feel strength gains very quickly and big changes very quickly, whereas the trained person will feel less changes because there's, there's less less scope for improvement. That's your neural control. Um, you then got cross-sectional area of the muscle. How how you, you cut slice through the muscle in, in in profile? How thick is it? How big is it? Um, so this is more important than the actual volume. So what I mean by that is if you've got a short athlete and a tall athlete, and they've got effectively the same percentage of body fat, um, the taller athletes, let's say you, you look at their biceps in their arm. I say biceps in your arm because there's also a biceps in your hamstring. But your biceps in your arm um, is, let's say, it's the same cross-sectional area. But the, the taller 
athlete will have a longer bicep and therefore will have a greater volume. But that does not really equate to strength, the cross-sectional area. So, so the, um, the shorter athlete will have, let's say their bicep strength is the same, okay? But when it comes to their overall strength, the short, the smaller athlete will be strong, will be stronger relatively because he doesn't weigh as much, but he's got the same strength in those muscles. That makes sense. Mm. Which is yeah, why it makes sense. Yeah. Which is why you don't see tall elite gymnasts. They're always quite short for that reason. Yeah. Um, the third, um, the third one is the, how the muscles, how the muscle is put together, the orientation of the muscle fibers. So if you think about your biceps and getting in your arm, it's called, it's called uh, a fusiform muscle. It's like a, um, so it's, it's tapered at either end and the, all the muscle fibers are all sort of together, relatively parallel to each other, starting at one tendon all the way down to the other tendon. You then, but if you then have something like your deltoid, it's got, um, uh, starts broadly at the top and narrows down into a, into a D shape. That's where you've got deltoid. So it's got it's relatively D shape. So it's so the muscle fibers are at different angles coming in. Anything up to sort of 20, 30 degrees. Your quads the same. There's muscle angles are very, very varied. So obviously, if you're pulling along the line, so if you've got a, a straight line to to a, to a muscle, that's going to produce. You're going to get 100% out of that muscle. The muscle fiber is attached at 45 degrees. You're going to get less pull on that. Mm. Okay. The overall yeah, vector. Sense. So all the, all the different muscle fibers are tiny individual vectors, which are contributing to the overall vector. If you're doing a bicep curl, most of the fibers are orientated along that line of pull. The deltoid is different out to the side. You've got some muscles that are coming in from the front, some from the back, some from the middle. The middle ones are doing more work because they or better work, more efficient. The ones at the front and the back, because they're because their angle, just not as efficient. So, so if you imagine a feather, that central column, that's the line of that's the main line of pull. Then you've got these these fibers of the feather coming in and attaching in. Those are different different fibers. They're going to be pulling on that. The angle just efficient but not as efficient as if they're all pointing in the same direction yep um the, the muscle length as well is important so they go back to the actin and myosin when a, a muscle at its resting length the actin and myosin has has some maximum overlap um and when a muscle is shortened okay there's less the act the actin almost overlaps themselves and there's less those cross bridges, those little ratchets to latch onto each other, and so therefore you can't generate as much force. And seeing and the other end of the spectrum where you've got lengthened muscle, okay, you've got again, you've got hanging on by your fingertips, <laughs> literally, those, those ratchets, those again, less ratchets to attach onto uh, the actin, so you can't produce as much force. So you're, you're, you're stronger in this sort or of the mid range of your muscle, um, the joint angle as well. Um, so if you're running in a straight line or cycling, you know, even though you're going in a straight line, our movements are being produced by rotations about our joint. So, um, so how efficient is that muscle or how efficient is that joint at producing force or torque? Well, that's T-O-R-Q-U-E. Um, so the rate of, of, of uh, how, how fast can you rotate something? How much force requires a certain rotation, a certain speed? So the joint angle is going to be important. Um, the muscle, as we talked about before, the muscle contraction velocity. So as, as muscle force, the muscle force declines as velocity goes up. So you can, you can shift a lightweight fast or a heavyweight slow, um, relatively. It's all relative <laughs> when you look at some of these heavyweight uh, Olymp Olympic weightlifters. Um, and we come to almost getting to the end now, mate. Almost there. Stay with me. Stay with me. <laughs> so you've got three basic. I'm with you. No, I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated. You've got three basic types of muscle action. You've got concentric, 
eccentric, isometric. Okay, slightly confusing. Um, what can be confused about concentric contractions and eccentric contractions? That's the wrong way to think about it. Think of it as we call isotonic shortening. Concentric is isotonic shortening. So the muscle is getting shorter. Those fence posts are being pulled in. That's creating force. So the muscle force is greater than the resistance it's pulling against. Okay, you're getting a shortening of the muscle. Eccentric um, action or isotonic lengthening is when you get a under resistance, the muscle lengthens. So you think about bicep curl. You've got the, the concentric is the, is the weight being pulled up. Then the eccentric is the lengthening under tension. Okay. Now, that's where the resistance of the, the muscle force is less than the resistance of the weight. But you're doing it in a controlled manner. If the weight was too much or you'd hit, you'd hit failure, you'd fatigue the muscle so much it couldn't produce the force anymore, you would drop the weight, it would be uncontrolled. But for this, in this case, you're just looking at, at a shortening lengthening with control. Then you've got the isometric, which is there's no movement. The muscle is on. There's tension, but there's no movement. That's you holding a cup of tea in your hand. OK, elbow at 90 degrees. Muscles are on. No movement, but there's tension there. So those are your different types. So something like running, um, the impact of running is, is eccentric is lengthening under tension. So doing a squat, lengthening under tension. So um, cycling is much more just primarily concentric, which is why you don't get that that um, delayed onset mm -hmm. of muscle soreness. It's the eccentric loading under tension, which, which gives us that delayed onset of muscle soreness, that DOMS talked about before, um, which is that, sort of, that soreness. And that also explains the difference, yeah. And that explains the difference between running and cycling. So a lot of people will say, well, does running help cycling? Does cycling help running? The fact that they're different uh, types of movement yeah. and different loading um, means that they work in very different ways and uh, yeah. that they don't necessarily help each other. Particularly running doesn't necessarily help, help, help the cycling. Yeah, I mean, you look at it from a... From an engine perspective, from a cardiovascular point of view, they help they help each other out definitely. But from from the chassis point of view, it's it's a very different it's a very different story. Um, and from a neural point of view, I mean, yeah. and I think we discussed it before, but there was a study they did on triathletes, um, and they they had them on a uh, I don't know the full details of it, but they had it on um, they had these uninjured athletes uh, triathletes in a lab, and they they wired them up. To on an EMG machine, so they were looking at the electrical impulses from their muscles in their legs. They had them on a bike for about, I think, for about half an hour, and then they got them off the bike immediately onto a treadmill and got them running. And they looked at the muscle patterning of those of those athletes, and they had a massively different spread of patterning, so neural patterning. So they had in some people they were seeing half an hour later they were still running for half an hour, yet the muscle patterning was cycling, even though they were running. Well, that doesn't surprise me in the sense that if you've ever tried to do what they call brick sessions, yes, in triathlon, which is basically coming off the bike and going for a run and then bike yeah. and then run, when you first start running, the sensation is totally weird. Yes. Yes. Um, because obviously your brain still thinks that you're cycling. Yeah. Bizarrely. Yeah. That, yeah. Well, that's the thing. And, and in terms of what it's telling the muscle. Yeah. And you right. can train your brain to think about running rather, and that can help. I mean, that, so it's, it's, it, it is a, it is something you can learn to, to, to adapt to. So you, you get a quicker change. To, to the running, so you become more efficient, um, less prone to injury, pro pro possibly. Um, but anyway, so so that so so the, um, the concentric stuff, yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, you've given a fascinating breakdown of the whole kind of muscle stuff, how we activate them, how we, how. Can, can we? What can we influence 
amongst all of that stuff that you've talked about, how much of that is, is the stuff that we can influence and how much of that stuff actually we, we can't do much about? It's, it's down to genetic factors and what we've, what we've got. Good question. Um, a lot, there's a, most of this we can change. We, we can, we can, we can um, affect uh, to a degree. So how tall you're going to be, no. <laughs> um, how many, your, your spread, your natural spread of type 1 and type 2, again, you're not, you have no say of that really. Um, so what you're born with, so you know, some athletes are born not bred. Well, all athletes, you know, nature, nurture, um, athletes have to have an ability, uh, an, an innate ability. But that ability has to be trained in order to become the athlete. They, they, the potential that yeah, they can, they can uh, achieve that potential. Um, so, and there is, it is contentious about whether you can change a type one to a type two, type two to a type one, because to a, to a large degree. It's, that's dictated to by the brain. The brain tells that type two to be a type two. As we get older, we lose that. That begins to die down. But if you keep telling it to be a type two, you can help maintain it to be a type two. When you're young, you can get away with it. But what you're born with is that just you've got these type ones and type twos, and that's about it. So if you're more of an endurance athlete, you've got your 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 uh, Ethiopians, not, um, um, who are the more the, the endurance, and you've got the Nigerians who are the more more powerful um, sprinters because it's just their their, their their natural shape, their natural their, their 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 makeup, their muscular makeup is that's given to them at birth. That's that's it's choosing your parents correctly, really. <laughs> um, but most most other things you, you know you you can you can train you can train. Um, um uh your well sorry the fit so things like your joint angles your length of your limbs you can't do anything really about that um but your neural control which is a massive part of it can be changed um your your power to you know we come on to the next stage which is you know strength to mass how how heavy are you there's a certainly there's a there's a fighting weight you can be in but if you're overweight then a quick way to get to get more strength out of yourself is just to be lighter. Um, just just you know get slimmed down, and you and you will be relatively stronger because you don't have to shift so much mass. Um, um, and and so and so that is is variable to a degree. Um, but then as as you get stronger and you develop more muscle mass, what you have to be careful about is if you if you Increase your muscle mass by fifteen percent, but you only increase your strength by ten percent. Then you're going to be relatively weaker. Your strength, your strength has gone up. But you're relatively weak because you weigh more. <laughs> so there is a there's a trade-off um, uh, to to you know there's an optimum effectively. Um, so when you're looking at boxes, for instance, you've got the heavyweights and the, and, the, and the lightweights and the medium weights, and how how they are. Um, categorized mm, yeah um, so and you've got your uh, you've got your, how how strong you are is, is how much weight do you lift how much weight can you shift divided by your body weight well that tends to be a bit of a bias towards the bigger athletes um, so um, sorry towards lighter yeah bigger athletes um, and it's but it seems to me if you're a medium-sized athlete they tend to be have the best of both worlds. They're the slightly stronger, relatively. Um, but um, the neural adaptations, your muscular, you know, how how big your myofibrils are, how vascularized those myofibrils are, that is ultimately where you're going to get. That's where you. That's what you're training for to get to make those better. Great foundation for when we come on to strength training later. Well, yes. and and actually endurance, I mean, still engage in muscles, right? So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's 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 um, it's a big. Uh, not, there was a lot to cover. There's a huge amount to cover, um, but it's it's they're all very interesting uh, points. So, yeah, and and I think when when you when you have a when you have a deeper understanding of what's actually going on in your body, 
you just appreciate it better. Yeah, totally, totally. So what we should say is um, we'll get the notes up from from this. So if you want to kind of go into the detail of this, we'll 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 make those available um, on, on Substack as well as that. Um, and I think so. The next one, Greg, we're, we're going to have that sort of foundational stuff is on energy systems, right? Yes, that's the next one. That's getting into the, into the biochemistry of it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but again, all really useful and everybody can um, all, all the bits of bobs of exercise that you're all doing and which we'll, we'll cover off. Um, right. Well, on that note, shall we close this one off and um, yeah. we will see you again for the next one um, talking about energy. Um, Looking forward to that. Thank you all for listening. Cheers. Take care.